Hey, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. We're here with another fall worship night talk, this time from our very own Anna Butler. This is what Anna shared at UNC this year. It's a story about Jesus, and he comes in contact with two very opposite people that both need healing. And we get to see how Jesus responds. It's really incredible. My name is Anna. I'm clearly more cold-blooded or warm-blooded. I don't know, whatever makes you colder during the cold months. Um, I work for As You Are, and I'm so excited to be here with y'all tonight. Um, I live in Richmond, Virginia with my husband Everett and our dog Tuck. It was around this time last year that we actually got Tuck, so he's over a year old, but we haven't quite had him for a year yet. And um, yes, I I don't have any kids, so he's my kid. I love him so much. I think he's like the Emily tells me a story about Jones, which is her son, and I tell her stories about Tuck. If that tells you anything about my relationship with my dog. Um, And obviously, I also love and adore my husband, Everett. Um, But he doesn't cuddle as much. You know, Tuck's just a little cuddly boy. Anyways, we live in Richmond, but before living in Richmond, we were in Athens, Georgia, which is how I got involved with As You Are. As You Are was started at UGA by some girls that were just like, we want to help bring community to our school. How can we do that? Let's just start a Bible study. Um, And when I was there, they needed somebody to lead their senior girls Bible study. And so I like randomly got connected with them. They asked if I would do it. I said yes. And it's honestly been the best decision of my life. I never in a million years would have thought that it would lead to a job. I like, it feels crazy that this is what I get to do for work, but I love it. Um, and before living in Athens, I was in Atlanta and before Atlanta, I am from Virginia. So I went to school at James Madison university. Maybe you guys have heard of it. I know some of the more Southern schools, we go like all the way down to Alabama and They've never heard of JMU. But y'all have maybe heard of JMU. I grew up in Charlottesville, went to JMU. I graduated in 2017. So I'm older than you guys, but not like crazy older, but definitely older. Um, and I want to tell y'all a story about my senior year of college. So when I was a senior, I went in to senior year, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, thinking this is going to be the best year yet. It's senior year. This is going to be amazing. And the first semester was great. First semester was so much fun. I lived with seven girls. We were all in one house. It was tight quarters. I shared a bathroom with five of them. I don't know how that worked out, how the other three got, like, two bathrooms. The other three shared two bathrooms, and we, the five of us shared one. That's some weird math. Um, but second semester senior year, we go into second semester again, thinking this is going to be great. I'm going to have the best semester ever. About two weeks in to my second semester of senior year, my longtime boyfriend breaks up with me. And it was pretty sudden, and I was kind of like, what is going on? Most of my housemates that I lived with were engaged. I don't know. At JMU, it's like very much a ring-by-spring culture. So I was shocked and was like, this is not where I thought this was going. So he breaks up with me. A couple weeks go by. I'm devastated, like so sad. A couple weeks go by, and I get really, really sick. And already, I'm like, this is not the second semester senior year I was envisioning for myself. So I get really sick. 
and I was a pretty sick kid. Like I, I got sick a lot when I was little. I, I don't really know if it was my mom just let me stay home from school a lot or if I was really actually sick. There's definitely a fine line right there. My parents are actually in the back. Uh, my brother just had a baby and they're visiting him in Raleigh. And so they came on over. That's the, the couple over there. Um, anyways, I was sick a lot. I went I started getting like sicker and sicker and sicker senior year and thinking, what in the world is going on? I also hate going to the doctor. I will avoid it at all costs. I don't remember the last time I've been to the doctor, like currently, I don't know. But especially in college, I was like, I'm not taking the time to go to the doctor. Finally, my housemates were like, "You something is wrong. Like You need to go get something checked out. So I go to the health center. And I was pretty sure what I had was strep throat because I had had like I had strep throat a lot growing up. I was like, I bet that's what this is. Like I go to the health center, tell them, hey, I think I have strep throat. And their logic was they hadn't seen any cases of strep throat yet. So it's probably not strep throat. We'll just give you some anti-nausea medicine. And I was like, I'm not even nauseous. What? How does that add up? But they that's what they did. They gave me anti-nausea medicine, and they sent me on my way. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll just see what happens. So I ride it out a few weeks. I get better. Thinking, okay, maybe I was just like weird. It was a weird fluke. couple weeks go by, probably like two or three more weeks. So at this point, we're in like end of February, almost April. And I start getting these red bumps all over my body. I can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. I get these red bumps all over my body. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like, is I'm, am I just like so heartbroken? I kind of thought it was hives. Like maybe I was so heartbroken from the breakup and I was like breaking out in hives. I didn't know what was going on. Again, I don't go to the doctor very quickly. So when I finally made it to the doctor, the doctor looks at me and goes, okay. So, have you had strep throat recently? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did, but they all they did was give me anti-nausea medicine. And he's like, okay, yeah. So, what I'm seeing is it's actually the beginning of scarlet fever. If you don't treat strep, it can turn into scarlet fever. And so, I hadn't treated the strep, and lo and behold, I had scarlet fever. Like in the 1800s, he literally told me, he was like, if you, if we lived in the 1800s, this is like the kiss of death for you. But luckily we live in a time where there's modern medicine and he, he could give me something to cure the strep throat and cure the scarlet fever that was on my body. So I think, great, that's the end. I've been through the ringer at this point. Now it's time. Let's get this second semester senior year started. This is going to be so fun. I'm on the up and up. I worked at a coffee shop in college, and I loved it. I like, still love making coffee. I really value a good cup of coffee. And I was working there with one of my best friends from college. Her name is Sam. And I had started kind of like feeling a little funny. Again, big surprise. And at this point, it was like my head was hurting really bad. And I wasn't. I was like, what in the world is going on? Why is my head hurting so bad? And it was like just this side of my head. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like specifically at work. It had been hurting a little bit for a few days. But while I was at work, I was like, this is 
like really bad. And I was like, can you look? I think there's something, I think there's something on my head. Like, can you look? And so she looked and she's like, oh my gosh, that is disgusting. She's like, you have these like nasty, this is gross, sorry, whatever, the nasty pimples on your head. Like, what is that? You need to do something about that. So I go home like to my college house and by the end of the day I was in so much pain y'all I literally couldn't open my eyes like I'm laying on the couch with my eyes closed like in so much pain and my sister ended up picking me up and driving me home to my parents house and my mom saw me and she was like I think I know what this is and spoiler alert she's right but I'm not going to tell you what it was but moms are always right so she was right and We go to the doctor, the first doctor we go to, she's like, I think that this is what my daughter has. And the doctor's like, there's no way she has that. There's literally no way that's what it is. A few days go by, we go to another doctor because it's just getting worse. Like the pain is getting worse. And at this point, like, I I don't even like really remember those days. They were so hazy because I was in so much pain. We go to another doctor and he was like, okay. You, you have shingles, and the average age for somebody to have shingles is 65. I looked that up today. It's literally 65 years old when most people get shingles, and I was 20, 21. He also said, when did your symptoms start? I told him they started probably like four days ago or five days ago. I don't really remember. He was like, okay, so you've past the point of medication. We can't give you medication for this. You're just going to have to ride it out. Here's some pain meds, but like, unfortunately, there's not, like, I can't do anything to stop it. You just have to get through it. I remember like opening my eyes in bed and my parents are there and they're like giving me pain medication. Like, here you go. You're going to be okay. We're going to make it through. And obviously I made it through. I was totally fine. But needless to say, by the end of this whole saga, it's the end of April. And I graduated in May. And so my second semester senior year was not what I expected. Not even close to what I expected. While all my friends were going to formals and getting engaged and having bridal showers and all these fun things, I was literally like an invalid in the doctor's office every other week with random spots and random things all over my body. But I tell you all of that because there's a story in the Bible about a woman who also, her life has not gone according to plan. Her life has taken a hard right turn, and she's seeking help. And she can't find it. And she's trying and trying and trying. And also, in the midst of this story, there's a man. And his life has also, it's currently not going according to plan. And so we're going to pick up, it's actually in the book of Luke. If you brought your Bibles, you're more than welcome to open them, but you do not have to. Um, this particular story you can actually find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is kind of cool. Not, it's not always that way that you can like read the same story in different Gospels. Um, but let me flip there with all my little notes. It's Luke chapter 8. And just to kind of set the scene, I always like to, when I'm reading a story in the Bible, try and really like picture what's going on so I can understand and fully comprehend like what the people might be feeling and experiencing in that moment. So obviously 
we have Jesus in this story, and he actually, if who was anybody at the worship night in the spring? Raise your hand if you were there. Okay, amazing. So in the spring, I talked about Jesus calming the storm, um, and this story happens right after that. That's not even intentional, but that's kind of cool. So if you're here in the spring and you heard about Jesus calming the storm, this is right after. Like, he's made it to the other side, and now this is happening. So it says that Jesus gets out of the boat, and there's a really big crowd around him. So we can assume at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's really well known, and people are excited that he's there. Literally, it tells us, we're going to pick up in verse 40, and it says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So it's almost like, I don't know, if a celebrity is coming to town and like people are there at the airport. I don't, maybe that, I don't think that happens, but if people are really excited that he's there, they're waiting eagerly for Jesus to come. And it says that there was a man named Jairus who was the ruler of the synagogue and he came and fell at Jesus's feet and implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. So we have Jesus, and he gets out of the boat. There's this big crowd of people right there, ready for him when he gets off the boat. And he walks out, and this man named Jairus comes to him. And the word implored literally means to beg desperately. He falls at his feet. He falls at Jesus' feet. And what you guys need to understand about this man, it tells us that he was a leader of the synagogue, which I think means that he was a Pharisee or he was at least really involved in that group of people. And the Pharisees did not like Jesus. They were not his fans because ultimately they were trying and working so hard to keep all these rules and follow a really, really, really strict path thinking that that was what was going to lead them to God. And Jesus is like, no, you're missing the mark. I want to be in a relationship with you. So the Pharisees did not like the way that Jesus taught. They did not like his message. And so for Jairus to come to Jesus, like, was a pretty big deal. I think it's easy to just, like, slide over that and be like, well, he needed help. Like, of course he's going to come to Jesus. But I at least think that we can assume he's kind of at the end of his rope at this point. Like, his friends most likely wouldn't have wanted him to go to Jesus about this. Um, but he had heard enough about Jesus and about who he was that he was like, I, I need to go to him. Like, my daughter's going to die, and I need help. And Jairus also would have been really well-known, most likely, in town. He probably would have been really wealthy. And so he, him falling at Jesus' feet is like a crazy act of humility, and he's begging, please, please, come save my daughter. My 12-year-old little girl, she's dying. So just imagine, like, I don't know if y'all have ever been in a situation where you're like, I, like, I just need help. Imagine that times like a million because it's your kid and they're about to die. And the story doesn't stop there. So it says that Jesus went and the people are pressing all around him. I don't know if you guys have ever, like, leaving a football game, you know that feeling when you're like, if I picked up my feet, I think I would keep moving forward. I don't know if it was that crowded, but it's like that feeling of the people are pressing all around him. And says that there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. 
So now enter the next character into the story, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. I don't know if this is significant, but I noticed it the other day. The, the daughter is 12 years old, and the woman's been bleeding for 12 years, and I think that's just really cool. I, the number 12 in the Bible means God's power, like showing God's power. So that's a random little side note, but I think that's pretty interesting. Anyways, this woman was bleeding, and in those days, what that would have meant is that she was unclean, ceremonially unclean, and she wasn't allowed to be in a crowd of people, not just a crowd of people. She wasn't allowed to be around anybody. She would have had to walk through the streets of the town with a bell, ringing the bell, saying, unclean, 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 because nobody could touch her. And it tells us that she had spent all of her living on physicians, and she couldn't be healed by anyone. Talk about two completely different people. First, you have Jairus, who would have been well-known, most likely wealthy. He was a Pharisee, which is like the holiest of holy in a way. Like, he would have been like high up in the totem pole. And then we have this woman who's like lowest of the low. She's got no money. Any family and friends that she had most likely have left her because... They can't touch her. She hasn't been hugged in 12 years. But they both are coming to Jesus in desperation. And it tells us that she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her bleeding ceased. Immediately. And in the, I think... In Mark, it says that she told herself, if I could just touch the fringe of his garment, I'm going to be healed. Like She came up thinking, I'm just going to sneak into this crowd. I'm going to do it. I, this is my last hope. I'm going to touch the fringe of his garment, and then I'll be better, and it'll all be over. She's risking a lot to get through the crowd. And says, Jesus looks around and says, who touched me? And everybody denied it. And Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on all sides. Peter's kind of like, dude, everybody's being touched. Like, duh. It's that feeling. You know, there's people on all sides. Peter's kind of trying to be like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching me. We're in a crowd of people. But Jesus doesn't let it go. He says, someone touched me. For I perceive that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So this woman comes forward and she's terrified and rightly so because she does something she wasn't supposed to do she's not supposed to be in a crowd of people she's definitely not supposed to touch Jesus because in those days they would have thought that that would make every person that she came in contact with also unclean and so she's scared she has no idea how Jesus is going to respond I think 
sometimes we also come to Jesus that way. Like if we've messed up or if we've done something that we're like, I don't want, I don't want anybody to know about this. I'm really scared. I'm really scared to confide in my friend about it, but I'm really scared to talk to Jesus about it because what is he going to say to me? How is he going to respond to me? And his response to her is so beautiful. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't say, why would you do that? Now I'm unclean. No, first off, Jesus can't become unclean by our mess. That's not how it works. He healed her. She should have, I guess, made him unclean, but instead he made her clean. The whole narrative was flipped on its head. And then his first word to her is daughter. She had no family and friends. We can assume. We don't know that for sure. I can, we can assume that. And his first response is daughter. He's instantly inviting her into his family after she's been alone for 12 years. He's saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I love you. And what's so interesting is it tells us that he continues speaking to her. He says, while he's still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said to Jairus, don't forget, we have two people in this story. There's a lot going on. We have Jairus. So one of his servants comes and says, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Can you imagine the like the intense heartbreak that Jairus would have felt in that moment? Because Jesus, they were on their way, and Jesus allowed this interruption from this woman who Jairus would have thought was not worth it to talk to. Why are we talking to her in the first place? And then he finds out as Jesus is waiting and talking to this woman that his worst fear has happened. The worst possible thing he could imagine in that moment happened. And I'm sure he is just distraught. And Jesus heard this and he says, don't fear, only believe she will be well which probably was equally confusing to Jairus in that moment. He's like, no, she's dead. <laughs> what? And it says that Jesus came to the house, and he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning around her. But he said, do not weep, for she's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him. Because that, they saw her die. And in our minds, when somebody's dead, they're dead. No, she's dead. They laughed at him. And it says that he took her by the hand, took the little girl by the hand, and called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And I love this. He directs them to give her some food. <laughs> just, I, I think there's probably a spiritual reason for that, but I just think it's fun. He's like, eat, eat some food. And I think it's really important for us to read that whole story 
and to understand two things. There's so much, y'all, just like with any story in the Bible, there is so much that we could unpack and we're, there's no, we'd be here till forever. I don't know. Till all, every single one of you graduates and all your little siblings come through, we could digest this text over and over and over again. But the two things I want you to hear tonight is the first one is that Jesus works outside of our time. You might feel like something that you've been struggling with or fighting with is going on and on and on and on, and you're like, when is the end? Maybe it feels like the death, like that same pain that that father felt for his child. Maybe it feels that way. But I can promise you that Jesus is is working, even in the waiting. And sometimes it's really hard to see that, and so I don't want to belittle that. But I think in those moments, if we can if we can choose to trust, one of the most like life shattering things I ever realized was that trust is a choice. It's not an emotion or a feeling. I think we often take the word trust and we put it in with a bunch of feelings because if you can feel like you can trust somebody then yeah sure it's easy to trust but it's in the moments when we don't feel like we can trust that we have to choose choose to trust and it's really hard but Jesus is working in the waiting and he hasn't left you alone He hasn't forgotten about what you're walking through. Yes, he stopped to talk to the woman and to heal this woman, but it's not not because he forgot about Jairus and his daughter. It's because he knew that in the waiting, the miracle that they would experience is so much greater And the second thing that I want you all to hear is that we're all broken and messy and life is really hard. <laughs> I mean, think about these people from two different, completely side, complete different sides of the social ladder. But both of them were desperate and desperate for different reasons. We're not all walking through the exact same struggle, but I do think oftentimes we are walking through hard things, whether it's anxiety or maybe your boyfriend broke up with you and you're like two years into it and you're like, well, how am I still mourning the loss of this? This is crazy. Or maybe it's your parents got divorced. I don't know, but I do think that we often, more often than not, we try and take those broken sides of us and we just hide them away. We're like, I don't want anybody to see that. I don't want anybody to know this X, Y, or Z thing about me. Like the woman, she tried to just slip into the crowd, touch the fringe of his garment, and then slip out. But Jesus cared too much about her to allow her healing to only be physical. He wanted to offer her emotional emotional and spiritual healing as well, and he wanted to invite her into the family. There's this really 
beautiful art form, and it's called Kintsugi. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Um, I learned about this a few years ago, and it's when there's pottery. It actually started, it's a Japanese art form, and it started years and years and years and years and years ago. And it was started because there was this pottery that was broken. And these artists were like, what can we do with this? We don't want to just throw it away. We don't want to just disregard it. What can we do with it? And so what they did was they took gold and they glued it back together. I have some pictures of it. So this is a, a bowl that's been broken and pieced back together with gold. And this is another one. And it's really cool. Like the, if, if a whole piece is missing... Instead of trying to build a new piece out of clay, they, they replace the whole piece with gold. And the reason is because they believe that those cracks, the broken pieces, they're a part of the story of the piece of pottery. And they're not something to be hidden. They make the piece way more beautiful and way more valuable. If this was just a, like a clay bowl, it would be pretty. But now it has gold in it. And it's beautiful and it's unique. And every single crack is put together so carefully. It takes a long time. They have to like mix up this little potion. It's not a potion. But they mix it all up. And then they have to like make sure everything is lined up perfectly for it to all come back together. And what's also crazy, Michael told me this before, our, our one guy in the house minus my dad, um, the pottery when it's been broken and put back together with this stuff is stronger than it was before. And I think that that is a really beautiful metaphor for our lives. We're actually told in the Bible that our hearts are like jars of clay. And so I would encourage y'all, instead of trying to hide the shame or the anxiety or whatever it is you're struggling with, trust Jesus with it. Trust that you're in the hands of a good potter who wants to take those broken pieces and turn your story into something beautiful. Because there is beauty in the brokenness. If we allow ourselves to see it. If we allow ourselves to have the mindset of these Japanese artists who were like, wait, we don't have to throw this bowl away just because it's broken. Our society, we throw things away. I throw, I'm like queen of get rid of it, throw it away, let's throw it away, let's throw it away, items in my house. But what if instead of just discarding the past or trying to hide from the things that we're struggling with, we allow Jesus to carefully heal our hearts? We have to trust that we're in the hands of a good and faithful potter. There's no way that that piece of pottery could fix itself. There's no way. It would just be a broken bowl. Some, eventually somebody would throw it away. <laughs> like that, we can't fix ourselves. 
no matter how hard we try, just like the woman who went to so many different physicians, nothing worked. But Jesus wants to bring healing. And so I hope you all know that even in all the different types of brokenness, or maybe you're in a season of waiting, God is creating a valuable story and a beautiful story in your life. And that's not belittling the waiting. It's not belittling the hard things that we walk through. But hopefully it's a reminder that each little broken piece is going to be glued back together with gold. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the chance to sing songs and eat ice cream when it's way too cold outside um, and just be together in community. Uh, God, I just pray right now that you would give us the faith to trust you as the good and faithful potter that you are. Um, God, I thank you that you are um, making beautiful things out of us, but there, that there is also beauty in our brokenness. That you don't look at us and think, well, that's too far gone. I'm going to discard it. No, you look at us and, and you love us. And you say, daughter, I'm here. Come home. Let me hold you. And so, Lord, we just say that we love you and that we choose to trust you with every step of our lives. Amen. I'm so glad y'all tuned in today. I think this message is really important for us because we tend to think that God wants us to just be perfect, but really he wants us to confess and be open about our imperfections so that he can make us more like him. So praying that you're encouraged this week.